morning. We'll uh, we'll gather in and get started. I was told don't go past 9:45, so we're gonna work on that. Um, feel free to gather in slowly. And there are sheets up here on the table, and then some in the foyer, um, or you can just listen. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers, and um, welcome. Um, just waiting for people to get settled a little bit. Okay. I've got a lot I want to get through today. We'll see what God leads us. Um, I'll start with prayer. Father God, uh, what a joy it is to be in your house to worship today. Um, whether beautiful weather or not, it's always a joy to come before you because you make it so by the Spirit. We thank you for mothers um, that have loved and raised us all um, in some way. And God just reminds us of your perfect parenthood for us. Uh, as we'll see today, you lead and guide all of our steps, even when we rebel against you. Help us to um, see this and help me to speak all of the words well um, for your glory and to trust that it's all that you wanted to happen today. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, kind of I wanted to start with recapping a little bit. Genesis is a big book. Where have we come from so far? Um, a theme, that, a couple of themes I want to go over very quickly. The ESV Study Bible puts a first theme here of, we see creation, right? We started there. Then we had the fall, and then we had a recreation can anyone think about like what that first recreation was? The flood. Yeah, right. God kind of starting over. Um, some other ones you can maybe think of. So he has a covenant with Noah. They start expanding, but then the people come together. They're sinful, want to do the Tower of Babel. He s separates them. It's kind of a fall. And then he recreates a covenant with Abraham. Um, and then we'll see today. So the covenant of Abraham is restored, but then we have this deceitful episode with Jacob and Esau. Uh, but that's restored, actually. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then not to take away from next week, but you'll see another kind of creation of this family, finally the family of Israel. But then... Joseph has this fall with his brothers, but it's all restored again in the end. So that's a theme in Genesis. Another theme, um, Noah Raver, and also the story of Noah in the Bible, um, showed us how sin, the curse of sin, runs deep, right? You have polygamy. You have Adam and Eve's first kids. There's murder. Uh, there's hatred, deceit. God floods the world. So the curse of sin runs deep. That's a theme. Another theme is there are types of our Savior. And uh, when Genesis 3, God provides or says he's going to provide a seed to crush the serpent. And we have, uh, I think, Lamech and then Noah. And they think, oh, this might be the seed, but it's not the seed. It falls short. 
Abraham falls short. Jacob will see. Isaac fell short. Jacob will see falls short. And then they all fall short. So it's not quite God's plan of redemption, but it's leading there. And then we see renewed covenants, first with Adam, then with Noah. Last week, um, James talked pretty thoroughly, thoroughly about the covenant with Abraham, which um, is really beautiful. I just love that story of the pot going through, uh, the golden pot going through the blood. It's just representing Christ. Um, but God's renewing covenants. So we'll get to some of that covenant today. Uh, we also have, we've talked about that Toledot structure, and hopefully you figured out what that means already. Uh, it's genealogies, but it's also that genealogy zooming in on um, more specific characters. So Earth's first people, then Adam's descendants, Noah's descendants, Noah's sons, which then focuses on, in on Shem. And then it focuses actually on Terah's line, who is the father of Abraham, uh, going to Isaac. We'll focus on Jacob, and then we'll... Um, focus then on Joseph next week uh, for Jacob's descendants. So that's kind of that genealogy moving forward. And Abraham got a good chunk in Genesis. Jacob's going to get a good chunk. Isaac really doesn't get that much time. He was the promise for Abraham. And yes, he followed his dad to the altar when he was supposed to sacrifice. Abraham was supposed to sacrifice Isaac. But God provided a scapegoat representing Jesus. Um, and then Isaac, he has uh, similar sins to his father. He lies about his wife. And then then his wife is barren, just like Sarah was. She was barren for years. And you're kind of thinking, God, you promised Abraham this, this line, this seed, uh, this promise. Where is it? Um, why do, you think, why do you think that is? Why do you think Isaac gets such a small portion in Genesis? Kind of shaking your head. You don't know. Because we don't know. Because God chose to give Isaac just this much and tell us this much about Isaac, right? He chose to tell Israel this. We talked about how this book was written primarily, well, first for Israel and then for us. Um, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about all of this is given to us because God wanted to. And this happened because God wanted to. This wasn't because Moses said Isaac wasn't important. Moses, Moses probably didn't know a whole lot about Isaac. We're going to focus on God's plan. Um, so anyone want to give any, any info they want to tell me? What do, they, what do you think about when you think about Jacob? He's a deceiver. That sums it up pretty well. So he's not a good guy. Anyone else? Yeah, Gunner. He's always trying to leverage the most out of the situation. That's great. That's deceptive leveraging. Um, something about Jacob, read a lot of commentary he always trusted in his own strength and we're gonna we're gonna look at that today um the biggest theme i want you all to take today is that uh god is sovereign in salvation even despite our sin okay and that's gonna look at jacob and who he is 
I'm going to pile through a lot of text. Uh, I'm going to try to stay on time. Um, I might ask a few more questions, but if you have anything to chime in, please just raise your hand. I'll get to you. So let's dive in. First, we'll start. Um, my first point I want to focus on, God saves who he wants to save. Let's go to Genesis 25, 19 through 28. I'm just going to, I'm going to read all of these and try to go quickly and also um, efficiently. So it says, these are the family records of Isaac, of a son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padam Aaron and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? She went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the other will serve the uh, sorry. The older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when they were born. So old, barren, where's the promise of God? Like uh, Gunnar said, always leveraging. Jacob's grasping his brother's heel as he's coming out of the womb. And his brother's this red-coated child. It it's kind of sounds like weird language. And if you don't believe that this, this is showing God saves who he wants to save, you look at this prophecy, um, which does, we will see, comes to fruition. One will serve the other, the older, will serve the younger. God's saying it will be done. He's not just foretelling the future. He's saying, I'm going to make this happen. One, a couple ways we can see this. I'm not going to go into the text. But Esau should have loved his birthright. He should have known that this was from God. It was a special family thing. And instead, he goes and sells it for food. And I believe you can see there that Esau was apart from God. He he didn't want anything to do with God, and that's because God was not with him. Later on, he also marries the Canaanite women, and it says they caused trouble uh, for his parents. I mean, he's just, he's just against the family, which he knows is for God. He should be loving this, and God was not with him. Jacob, on the other hand, is a deceiver, leveraging his own strength. Really wasn't following God either, um, but as we'll see from this story, God pursued Jacob. God is going to save who he's going to save. Uh, I'm going to flip forward, Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Um, we skipped a part and we'll go back to it. But Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and laid down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If if God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides for me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my family's father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. So what did God do for Jacob here? In this little section. He promises him something. He's blessed. He's starting to bless him. And this is right after Jacob has deceived everyone with his mom's help. And what does Jacob do? He bargains. He says, oh, God, you're promising me something. Well, if you do this, then I will serve you. Jacob doesn't believe in God. Jacob's heart is not for God. But God's blessing. For for what reason? Um, That's the next point I want to get to. God is blessing Jacob here, and Jacob doesn't even seem to want it. Just like Esau, except for God left Esau on his own. God's pursuing Jacob. The next point I want to get to here, God's blessings are unconventional and unconditional. Uh, One thing we should know about the time, uh, ancient Mesopotamia, is that the older child always got the blessing. If they did not, um, something was really wrong, and they could lose it. Sure, Esau sold it, but Isaac still desired to give it to Esau. So I'm not going to read the whole story, but essentially, God told Rebecca, the younger is supposed to be served by the older, so she's trying to make this happen. She's like, let's go deceive your father. Jacob carries through with all of the plan. They cook some meat. Isaac blesses Jacob, and he's kind of blind. They put some goat skin on him, so he thinks it's Esau, and Esau's like, comes and says, where's my blessing? And Isaac said, oh, your brother came, and and took it. And um, the name Jacob means at your rear guard, but it also can mean deceiver, like Tess was saying. That's why Isaac says, isn't his name Jacob? He took it from you. Um, But still, all of this, he doesn't, Jacob doesn't deserve this blessing. And let's look at 28 verses 1 through 5. So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Padam Aram, the house of Bethuel, your father's mother. Sorry, your mother's father. (laughs) Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to Padam Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So Isaac doesn't seem really upset about the deception. If we read earlier, Jacob, I mean, Esau is very upset. But then Isaac just carries on and and gives the younger the blessing, which is unconventional at their time. And also he didn't deserve it. It's unconditional. 
Um, kind of skipping forward in the story again. This is kind of a storytelling time. Uh, Jacob goes to Bethel. We read that. Then he goes to his uncle's house, and he sees a beautiful woman, Rachel. He wants to work for him. Says, so his uncle Laban says, work seven years, tricks him, gives him Leah. This is probably what Jacob deserved. And Jacob says, I'll work another seven years, and he gets Rachel. So he's trusting in his own strength, kind of what Gunnar was saying. He's leveraging himself. So I can work hard for these women, and he does, and he gets them. And um, it then says, what does God do? He blesses him with a large family, 12 children off of four different women, so Rachel and Leah's servants as well. Um, so sinful polygamy, right? But God's blessing him with an offspring. Finally, the blessing of Abraham is coming. Um, but then we see, and I'm not going to read in that part either, but Jacob essentially comes to Laban and says, you give me uh, a little bit of the portion. I'll go ahead and leave. And Laban says, well, you can have the, uh, a small portion, and I'm, I'm probably getting a little bit of this off. But Jacob essentially says, I'll take the speckled and spotted sheep, goats. Laban takes all the speckled and spotted away. So essentially, good luck breeding non-speckled and spotted Jacob tries to craft this plan to get this breeding and trusting in his own leveraging, trusting in his own strength. Jacob's trying to make a way for himself, not really coming to God. Um, but then we'll go to chapter 31, 4 through 16. So all this happened. And it says, Jacob had Rachel and Leah called to the field where his flocks were. He said to them, I can see from your father's face that his attitude toward me is not the same as before, but the God of my father has been with me. It's interesting, Jacob, to say that. And he says, you know that with all my strength I have served your father and that he has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God has not let him harm me. If he said the spotted sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep were born spotted. If he said the streaked sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep will be born streaked. God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me. When the flocks were breeding, I saw in a dream that the streaked, spotted, and speckled males were mating with the females. In that dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, look up and see all the males that are mating with the flocks are streaked, spotted, and speckled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you poured oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Get up, leave this land, and return to your native land. So essentially, Jacob's trusting in his strength. He made that bargain with God. And what, is, what does God do? What, is, what, is, what does God say he's been doing here? Yeah. Right. <laughs> He's like, God, if you do this, leveraging with God, good luck. And what does God do? God, like Derek said, he gave him all this help. He says, I've been watching how your uncle's been treating you, and it's angering God. Why should God care about Jacob? And yet he is, and he's blessing him tremendously. He took all of Laban's flock and bred them to become Jacob's flock. If that's not grace. So let's see how Jacob keeps responding. Jacob leaves. He's heading toward home. He's going to meet up with Esau, who he knows is angry. He's frightened, as we all might be. Um, Esau's probably also grown bigger, he expects, and I think he's heard something about 
So let's go to verse, uh, sorry, chapter 32, verses 9 through 21. And we see a little bit of a heart change with Jacob here. Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, go back to your land and your family and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. So there's some good humility here, right? I was reading um, the ESV study Bible. It says, it's actually translated Yahweh. He actually gives God praise and honor. He says here, I have crossed over the Jordan with my staff and now I've become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau for I'm afraid of him. Otherwise he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children. You have said, I will cause you to prosper and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea. Too numerous to be counted. So Jacob seems to be having a heart change. And then he spent the night there and took part of what he had brought with him as a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. He entrusted them to his slaves as separated herds and said to them, go on ahead of me and leave some distance between the herds. And he told the first one, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to? Where are you going? And whose animals are these ahead of you? Then tell him, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And look, he is behind us. So he prays to God, and yet, you know, you could maybe say, okay, he's planning still, and that's a good thing to do. We can still plan when we pray to God. But a lot of what I've been looking into is Jacob prays and then creates a contingency plan. He says, God, protect me, and if you don't, I got these herds. I'll just appease my brother. So basically, this is the part of the story where I'm like, is he talking about Jacob or is he talking about me, right? It's like, how often do we pray to God and then try to figure it all out ourselves? And that's, that's the attitude Jacob's having here. He's kind of growing in his dependence on God, and he's still trusting in his own strength. Um, but that leads me to my third point. God will bring his work, his promises, his covenant, his salvation to completion. So let's see what God does literally right after this scene. Chapter 32, 22 through 32. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob replied, Jacob, he replied, your name will no longer be Jacob. He said, it will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. Um, as a physical therapist by trade, can tell you if your hip socket's out of place, you're not walking very well. You're not working and, and trusting in your own strength, right? So Jacob thinks he has these contingency plans. He can trust himself. God wrestles him and says, not any longer. You're done trusting in yourself. 
that's a hard thing to deal with, but he blesses him. He takes away that deceiver name and gives him the name Israel, one who has wrestled with God and survived. I can tell you that anyone who wrestles with God and survives is not because he's done anything on his own. Anyone who wrestles with God and survives is because God allows him to live. All of us wrestle with God, and the fact that we are alive is his grace, and the fact that we know him and have his promises and are adopted into his family is because of his grace. And we'll see how that helps, um, or how that applies to Israel, too. And God carries this through. He carries this forward. So we'll go to chapter 35 now, 9 through 15. Give you a little chance to turn the page. God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you, and kings will descend from you. I will give you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, and I will give the land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at the place where he had spoken to him. What specifically, and you can remember what we talked about at the beginning and what we've talked about in the past weeks, what does God do here? He blesses unconditionally. What's the wording that you might recognize? Think back to Noah, Abraham. Covenant. Specifically, he says, be fruitful and multiply, right? Heard that before? He's renewing the covenant with Jacob. This man who trusted in himself, who deceived, who relies on his own strength, who really just kind of told God to his face, prove it with a snarky attitude. Let's see, let's see how God brings his work to completion. We'll go to the very end of Genesis. This is not to steal from Joseph next week. 48, we're going to focus on 15 through 16. Jacob uh, has returned to, well, he's gone to Egypt where the people are settled. He's blessing uh, specifically Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's sons. He says, I'm going to read this slowly for emphasis. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, May he bless these boys, and may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow to be numerous within the land. Does it seem like Jacob had a change of heart? He's finally giving credit to God for being his shepherd every single day of his life redeeming him from all harm. And I, I don't doubt that that redeeming language is similar to what we'll see in the true redeemer. And it's funny because 
right before this, God renamed him, right? We didn't get to the whole Joseph passage. I mean, Jacob's still repeating the sins of his parents. He's having favoritism. We're all going to sin in a changed heart, but this is a, this is a redeemed man because God has chased him down. Him and his brother Esau were on the same path, pretty much. Didn't want anything to do with God. Wicked. And God chased Jacob down. Place to place. Held him secure. Didn't let him go and finish the job. I'm not going to read the rest, but he goes and blesses the younger of Joseph's sons rather than the older. And Joseph's like, what are you doing? Um, Jacob's like, no, this is what this is what God wants me to do. He trusts in God's unconventional wisdom. So that's Jacob. That's what God is showing us in Jacob. Any any comments? Any questions? So we've got a, a bit more to cover going through the rest of the morning. Yeah, Emily. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, and we'll get to that. Yeah, you see, uh, she was saying in, in chapter 35, God's not just saying to you and your offspring. He's saying kings and nations and peoples. We know that a king, the greatest king, came from it, right? Um, but he keeps expanding the covenant. In Genesis, he starts with, you and your family, you and your family, Abraham, you and your family. He gives him one promised son. He gives him Ishmael, and, and he blesses Ishmael. But one promised son, Isaac, he asks him to kill him. Isaac's wife is barren. Finally, Jacob has a big family. But he's saying, no, it's going to get bigger than this. So as we've been talking about every, every single week, um, Genesis wasn't just written to Jacob. I mean, sorry, for us. It wasn't written to Jacob. It, wasn't, it was written hundreds of years after. It was written to Israel. So I want to take a look at what God is showing Israel. And uh, doing pretty well on time. So I might tap into some of these passages. Um, it's the same three points. God is showing Israel the same things. First, that he saves who he's going to save, who he wants to save. Malachi 1 Two through five. Let's see if I can get there. It says, The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you ask, How have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom says, we have been de devastated, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of the army says this, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord is cursed forever. God is showing Israel, the people who are wandering in the desert, who might be thinking, is, is this really for us? He's showing, and they might be thinking, why us? And he 
He's just saying, look at Jacob and see that it's because I wanted to for my glory. Uh, Legan Duncan, in a sermon he preached, said this about Genesis 30 with uh, the speckled and spotted goats. He said, Genesis 30 verse 43 lets you know that God had blessed Jacob beyond all that he could ask or think in fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises. What is Moses doing? And this is when he, he writes to Israel. He is confirming to Israel that Jacob was indeed the one who would be the heir and the head of the covenant. God is preparing Jacob, first and foremost, to trust in him and to acknowledge him alone. And all of us have to say, learn that same lesson. He's showing, Moses is showing Israel that you trust God because you can't trust anyone else and you don't trust God because of what you can do, right? His blessings are unconventional and unconditional. So that takes us to Deuteronomy where God says to Israel, let's see if I can pull that one up. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 11. I'm just going to read parts. He says, And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you and then you defeat them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Oh, that's the beginning. I'll go to 7. The Lord had in his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then if we go to Deuteronomy 9, 1 through 12, he says, Today you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and drive out nations greater and stronger than you with large cities fortified to the heavens. The people are strong and tall, the descendants of Anakin. You know about them. You have heard it said about them. Who can stand to the sons of Anak? But understand that today the Lord your God will cross over ahead of you as a consuming fire. He will devastate, subdue them before you. You will drive them out and destroy them swiftly as the Lord has told you. When the Lord your God drives them out before you, do not say to yourself, and this is key, the Lord brought me in to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Instead, the Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. James mentioned last week, God is not only favoring his people, he's also placing a future for these other people because of their wickedness. God doesn't choose us, though he does choose us because of his grace. He doesn't choose us for anything that we have done. You can't make a choice to choose him. All of us are like Jacob, we're running away, and Israel wanted to run away. They were in the desert and they said it'd be better for us to be back in Egypt and as slaves. And he says, I didn't choose you because you're a great people. I chose you for my namesake and to keep my promises because I loved you. R.C. Sproul says about Jacob, he says, Jacob has learned that the Lord does not have to act in line with the conventional way of doing things. He is sovereignly free to accomplish his goodwill apart from our own plans and presumptions. And we must embrace his way, even when it's unconventional. Even when we think we have something to do about it, even when we can't earn our salvation, we must embrace this because God says so. And he'll bring it to completion. 
We talked about the um, deception of, of Jacob, and, and Israel is named one who wrestles with God. I mean, you can see that in Israel's history, the wrestling with God, the serving idols and needing judges, and God rescues them. He has grace for them. They go back to it. They wrestle again. They go to captivity. But God, he brings this to completion. We know it comes through Christ. Uh, Isaiah is beautiful in this way. Isaiah 62, uh, there's verse 2, and then there's 11 through 12. I'm just paraphrasing, but essentially he says, Zion will have a new name, Zion being the holy hill of Jerusalem. He says, they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and the sought after. Right? They were the ones who wrestled, and God let them survive, but all of this because he sought after them. And Israel can look to Jacob and, and see if God promises, even if we rebel, he will be gracious. That's not an excuse to rebel, and as we'll see, um, it's better not to. But and we'll see that even through Joseph. But um, God will see, seek after them. John Calvin notes, personally, uh, thinking about the wrestling with God and God making Jacob dependent, he says, that passage teaches us always to expect the blessing of God. Although we may have experienced his presence to be harsh and grievous, even to this, the disjointing of our members. And Israel can say that about this. They, they don't eat the, or they didn't eat the hip socket, right? They're remembering the wrestling with God. And when they're in captivity in Babylon, they can look back to that and say, this is hard. We probably deserve this. I'm sure they said probably, but they did. Um, but God's going to come through, and you see that with Jacob. So it's a great hope for Israel, and Moses is writing it to them. Now I want to touch on what is God showing us as his church today? Number one, God saves who he wants to save. You can see that throughout the Bible. You can see some are saved and some are not. And he says so. Je Jesus says, all that my heavenly Father draws will come. But unless you are given it by God, you won't. That's in Mark, and that's in Matthew, and that's in Luke, and that's in John. Exodus 33, he tells Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I, whom I will have compassion. Paul quotes that in Romans 9. I'm not going to read all of Romans 9. Um, but that's Paul's kind of treatise on sovereign election. He talks about Jacob and Esau. He says he chose Jacob over Esau. He quotes Exodus. He even says only one of Abraham's children, meaning not Ishmael, was granted the promise of Abraham, so it's not meaning by blood. And this is because he's writing to Romans about the blood of the Jews. But he means this is not just for who you are as a human being, but it's all because of God's promise that only Isaac was chosen, only Jacob was chosen, only certain people are chosen. The Reformation Study Bible sums up a section of Genesis this way. Before Jacob was born and had done either good or evil, God revealed that Jacob would rule over Esau, his older twin brother. God chose Jacob even though he cheated his brother, deceived his father, and blasphemed God. 
God inclined the heart of the elect to trust his promises and to obey his commands. Right? He inclined him. He literally had to come pursue him at every step. In the outworking of his plan of salvation, God displays both his sovereignty and his graciousness, working patiently in the face of human rebellion and corruption. Uh, fittingly, as God does, I was listening to a, a sermon from a Legionnaire conference yesterday, talking about these things, um, talking about God choosing, and they were saying, what can dead men do? Right? The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And then they said, all, the dead, all that a dead body can do is smell bad. That's all we can do until God gives us new life. And God is sovereign over that. He will literally chase us down. And I'm sure many of you have felt God chase you down in your sin. And that's so gracious because then he gives you adoption. He gives you the promised blessing of his family like he did Jacob. Point two, again, God's blessing are unconven- blessings are unconventional and unconditional. You can see in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, not many of you are wise, not many of you are noble, not many of you had riches, wealth. I'm paraphrasing. And then later in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, he talks about the wickedness of, of men. He talks about lust, sexual immorality. He talks about idolatry and swindling. And he says, and so were some of you. But you were justified, sanctified, and glorified. Was not Jacob, was not Israel justified, sanctified, and glorified? That's what Paul's saying to us. We can look to Jacob and see that. Alistair Begg says, if God's covenant with us and acceptance of us were based on our daily performance, then none of us would remain in a relationship with him for more than 24 hours. But the wonder of his covenant with us is that it is founded upon his choice. He has called us from the farthest corners of the world and he will not cast us off. Jacob tried to bargain with God. He deceived his father. He got the blessing anyway. God wrestled him to accept his grace. Uh, Again, listening to something, and, and they quoted Charles Spurgeon, who said, God's sovereignty and God's and man's responsibility are friends. They don't seem to connect, but I'm not trying to reconcile friends because you don't have to. We are responsible for our sin, and if any of us went to God and said, look what I've done, we'd be in hell. But we can go to God and say, look what Jesus has done. He says, yes, it was for you. You're my child. And third point, God will bring his work to completion. What's interesting about the name Jacob, right? It means deceiver. And then Jeremiah, what does it say? The heart of man is deceptive. Jacob's not just a deceiver. We are deceivers. It's sick. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? But what does Revelation tell us? It says, all that are conquerors through Christ receive a new name. It doesn't tell us what that name is, but it says it's a name given by God. What a joyful thing to think about that we can look to Jacob receiving a new name. Abraham received a new name. 
And we will get a new name. We won't be deceivers. Because I know we all still struggle with it. And our church can also thrive. It might seem under attack in many countries or even now in the United States of America, slowly and slowly. But just as God told Abraham, I'll promise you something, and then it didn't look like it was coming, but then it had 12 children through a deceptive father, and then they went to Egypt, and there was a famine and all these different things. God brought his people forth, right? John Calvin says of this, from small, this small and contemptible origin, these slow and feeble advances, they teach us that the church was produced and increased by divine power and grace and not by natural means. We can look to Genesis and see our church will grow and our God will continue his promises because he did, he will, and it, it doesn't rely on us. And what a, what a nice thing that is, especially as we're in uncertain times and we're talking about church changes and, and God, God is with us. He was always with Jacob. He was always with Israel. And the beautiful thing I wanted to point out too is um, you see this plan of salvation, God saving who he wants to save unconventionally and unconditionally. He always brings it to completion. You see this throughout the scriptures. And it's very Trinitarian. God the Father chooses unconventionally. The Savior of the world was crucified. And the Son redeems us. And it's all completed by the Holy Spirit. Our great God and Father had us marked out from the beginning. And you can take that as a comfort. Forever, infinity, just doesn't mean goes on forever. It means it never had a beginning. God's love for you never had a beginning, so it cannot end. Because it always was. He always loved you, and he will bring it to completion. I got this uh, sermon bit, um, random church out of California. I thought it was a great ending piece. It says, this is how God deals with his covenant children. If God is determined to set his love upon them, then he is also faithful to pursue them, to win them and to never let them go. If our right standing before God depended upon our faithfulness, then never could we be sure. But because it depends upon God and the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf, we can have confidence in him even in times of darkness and difficulty. For God is faithful to keep his promises. Through Jacob's offspring, the nations of the earth would be blessed. Considered in this way, these promises belonged uniquely to Jacob and not to us. But considered from the vantage point of their fulfillment in Christ Jesus, these promises are also ours. In Christ, God has reconciled us to himself. We belong to him through faith in Christ, and we are to rest assured that he will never leave us or forsake us. I mean, he tells us that. He will bring us safely home into the new heavens and earth. Indeed, nothing can separate us from his love. So again, God is sovereign over salvation despite our sin. And that's a comfort. And next week, you'll see in a different way, someone who follows God, God is still sovereign over salvation despite what goes on around us. Any following comments or questions? Yeah, Gloria.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long time period. Yeah. Yeah, she said, uh, if you didn't hear that, the long game, right? <laughs> it was a long time for Jacob to go from, I don't know, you picture him in his teens or 20s, and his heart changing to where he's near dead. What would we guess? 70 plus years. And Israel being corrupt and lost until Jesus. You're talking about hundreds, thousands of years. Yeah. Patience, <laughs> and God is patient. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dave was saying uh, it gives us hope that we can pray for loved ones, friends, family, knowing that if God wants them, he'll make them, and, and not to give up hope or prayer. Um, it's easy to be discouraged when we see uh, deceptive children or what have you, but to continue praying because we don't know what God's going to do. Yeah. That's interesting you said that. I was thinking about listening to First <coughs> uh, Samuel. It was David praying for his son that God said would die, saying, why are you still praying? And he says, well, perhaps God will still save him. You know, I just, that came to my mind. But those are good. Good reflections on Jacob. Let me pray and it'll be good timing. Father God, uh, How great is your mercy and grace. How great is your holiness. How great is your perfection and how great is your love. And God, you have brought forth a covenant and a a hope in Genesis that passed down through ages to our Lord Jesus and now continues on in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this hope. Thank you for this truth. I pray that each person here would walk away more encouraged, not by me, but by your word, by your truth. And even today, as Dave preaches for us, I pray that you would um, bring all those here to either be saved or grow in sanctification, to um, trust in you more and more as our Lord and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.